0: Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work.
1: Good afternoon and welcome to Engage for Success Radio Show 332, the breadth and impact of financial worries among the UK workforce. And today we're going to be talking about just that, the impact of financial worries in our workplaces. I'm Joe Dodds, your host for today. I'm an engagement consultant working within the Engage for Success core team. The Engage for Success movement is an inclusive movement committed to the idea that there is a better way to work by releasing more of the capability and potential of people at work. We spread the word about employee engagement and shine a light on good practice. And we're widely supported across the UK involving the public, private and third sectors. If you go to our website, which is engageforsuccess.org, you can use the link at the bottom of the page to join our newsletter list, and all our social media links are there too. My guest today is Rebecca Gerry, who's Financial Wellbeing Lead at Neighbour. So welcome, Rebecca. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, Jill. It's great to be here. So start by telling us uh, a bit about who you are and who Neighbour are.
0: Yeah, definitely. So uh, as you might be able to tell from my accent, I am from New Zealand. So I've moved to the UK last year um, and working for a company called Neighbour. So we do financial wellbeing as an employee benefit. So essentially helping UK employees be better with their money. And it's something that I was lucky enough to get back into when I was working for a bank in New Zealand and building kind of financial education programs for the community. And then I've continued that work here at Neighbour. Lovely. Uh, it's really interesting to be talking
1: about financial wellbeing because we regularly talk about wellbeing on the show um, mm. and the employee engagement. And um, I'm, I'm not sure we've actually had a, a specific show about financial wellbeing in the past, but I've been recently contacted by another organisation wanting to do some um, content for our website around the same sort of topic. So it does certainly seem to be quite topical. Uh, at at the moment um so you know great that that you can join today let's so let's sort of start by thinking about what what actually is financial well-being
0: Mm, so i think you're definitely right that it's a bit of a buzzword at the moment and i think we've kind of had physical well-being and then mental well-being has you know been a focus in recent years and now financial is kind of getting its time to shine um in terms of what it is essentially the definition that the money and pension service has come up with recently in their 10 year financial wellbeing strategy for the country is that it's about feeling secure and in control. So it's knowing that you can pay the bills. It's knowing that you can deal with the unexpected and that you feel like you're on track for a kind of healthy financial future. So it's, it's a state that we want to be in. It's kind of the end state rather than anything that you get given.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And, and so where does that link in terms of sort of employee engagement in the workplace? Because again, it's not something that has been talked about. I don't think for, you know, well, it, you know, it's a fairly recent discussion about the workplace Albeit, when you think about, uh, you know, where, I don't know, the welfare officers and HR came from, you know, however many years ago with people like, um, Bourneville and Roundtree and and all the sort of really benevolent employers I guess the financial well-being was part of their their whole sort of ethos but it's something that got completely lost from what I can see and is you know really starting to be become more discussed now Um, yeah
0: hmm. definitely and I think I think if you think about Um, kind of pensions as something that is financial being it's your company providing for your financial future that's kind of been it for most employers is we help you at the end of your career and we don't really tell you what to do with your money during your career and there's definitely been that taboo about we don't want to talk about money it's something personal it's personal finance and it's not the role of the employer but I think what has been changing in kind of maybe the last five years even has just been that recognition that if you're worried about money, you don't leave that worry at the door at 9 a.m. in the morning and it comes through into your work and it, we have done some research um, for the past four years called the DNA of financial wellbeing, and that is a survey of 10,000 employees across the UK each year. And in that survey, financial worries has come out as the top concern of UK employees. So when we look at You know, the impacts on absenteeism, the impacts on the ability to focus at work, and even on looking for a new job or the kind of turnover costs, all of that links through into engagement and that if you're worried about your money, you're thinking about, you know, how are you going to cover the next bill, what would happen if something goes wrong, all of that comes through into not being very engaged in your day-to-day job Mm
1: -hmm. nine-to-five. It's interesting because I guess, you know, as you say, with pensions and and just sort of pay... Um, specifically, employers have got, you know, a massive impact on their employees in terms of their financial well-being. But as you say, it's it's not really been focused on in the past. And even you know, pensions have been, you know, everyone used to offer them, then nobody did, and then the government said you needed to, and then they didn't, and now they're back again. It's 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 changed mm. quite considerably over over the the years. Um, employers don't naturally take responsibility for financial well-being for their people do they?
0: I don't think so and I think and I think like you say it's kind of come and round roundabouts as to whether or not you think it's a thing you should be doing and I think a lot of it in the past has been framed as quite a benevolent or almost paternalistic way of you know it's a nice thing to do to support your people rather than mm-hmm. you know there is a bottom line benefit for you as a business in being able to get a more positive financial well-being of your employees Yes.
1: so you talked about um maybe um sort of offering what you do as part of a uh, sort of benefits package how how does that work in terms of how you work with organizations to help to engage their employees by focusing on their financial well-being
0: so we um kind of have a holistic look at things so we provide financial education in terms of Both online, we've got an online wellbeing hub with lots of articles and podcasts and tools and things, um, and also face to face workshops. But then, equally, it's great to have the education, but if you can't access the products or you don't have financial inclusion, then it doesn't get you very far. So, we also offer um, savings and lending that happens through the payroll, so it's um, deducted directly from your pay and it either goes into a savings account or goes to pay off a loan if you've taken one out without you even having to think about it kind of as a um, as a net salary deduction. Right, okay. And you talked about financial mm. inclusion. What does that mean? Um, so, it, again, that's one of those terms that's, I guess, a bit difficult to define, but there are definitely people who feel excluded from financial products and from financial institutions, whether that's because... Of um, something intrinsic to them, so a potential disability or a language barrier, or whether it's because of geographical um, locations and you know a lot of branches of banks closing and not being able to access those services. So I think as employers, it's also worth thinking about. You know, yes, you can tell people and inform them and give them the education, but do they actually have the ability to get what you're telling them to get as the best product or as the best service?
1: And how does this all link with all the sort of regulation around financial advice and all that sort of thing? Because that's something that, Mm, you know, was always a concern. How does that all fit together?
0: So there's a difference between financial advice and financial guidance. So financial advice is a regulated area and you have to be properly qualified to do that but that doesn't mean you can't provide guidance. So things like helping someone build a budget or helping them understand what credit scores are, that's not advice and telling them what they should be doing, but it's also still really valuable information for them to have and helps them make a smarter decision with what they want to do with their money. And I think we didn't really get that education or that guidance through the schooling system. And so Mm -hmm. maybe that's changing now, but for the people who didn't have it when they went through school, where are they getting it from at the moment? And really it's just asking friends or family, or they might do a bit of online Googling and just kind of hope that they get a good answer. So the employer is a trusted source of information and it's also the person giving you the money in the form of a paycheck. So why mm-hmm. wouldn't you want to also, you know, help provide some information around the best way to get the most out of that pay?
1: Mm-hmm. It's interesting because I... It's the sort of thing where sometimes I, I don't think the the sort of connection is made. I, I the reason I said that I just looked on um Twitter earlier this week and there was a, a story that had been shared by um one of my contacts and it was a, a guy who'd been in a, a store I think it was actually um in America but had been in a store, the person mm-hmm. was trying to pay for something and it had like copper um and and turns out had been unemployed, had now started a job and there'd been a problem with um her wage and she'd actually had to raid her child's um actually no it was in the UK, it was in Goldthorpe, I remember now, had to uh raid her child's piggy bank to pay for this food. Um and I mm. went and spoke to the cashier as he went through the checkout and the cashier said that she'd ended up paying for the food for the customer. So the whole purpose of this you know, share on Twitter was to say what you know what great staff they had at this particular supermarket and uh, and you know how lovely she was. However, they were also saying you know but it, it shouldn't have happened. And it struck me that it was interesting that it was the pay that was the issue. You know, something had gone wrong. And you know, thinking back to my days in in corporate running payrolls and things like that, sometimes you you do mess up somebody's pay. And I don't think organisations always individually realise the impact that has had on that person mm. because it's part of an administrative process and you just say, oh, well, we'll pay it next Friday instead or, or whatever it might be. And and actually, you know, particularly in this sort of environment, there's a lot of people who are literally living paycheck to paycheck and just a small administrative, mm. administrative error can cause some really, you know, far-reaching effects on employees. So you can see...
0: Absolutely. You
1: know, it's not even and just that- about engagement, you know we can cause the issue, can't we
0: absolutely and I think, and I think, to your point around kind of just seeing it as process and not seeing that impact is we also tend to make some assumptions around you know oh well what people will be impacted or it won't be that much of an impact. but the research that we've done is you know we've got nearly half of people saying that they're running out of money between paychecks, and so the difference between getting paid on Friday versus the following Monday can be massive. And you Mm. kind of have a compounding effect because not only are you missing that money, but maybe then your bills that you had scheduled to go out are bouncing and you're getting late fees or extra interest. Mm. So it's not just then about getting the money back in your account. It's also about, well, maybe I've incurred £20 worth of fees because of paying Mm. late or missing payments. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I guess organisations, if they have had sort of what they might term flexible payment dates... (laughs) <laughs> um, and uh, not wanting to administratively deal with individual charging and goodness knows what else when actually as you say mm. just you know one day difference on a pay date that's expected to make a massive massive difference so so what else has come up through the research so I mean, we know people are using food banks more and things like that so we know that you know the, the economy in terms of um People relying on their paycheck is, you know, not great in lots of situations.
0: What what's come up Mm -hmm. from
1: the research that you've
0: done? So I think, as I was saying before, that you know, financial worries is the number one concern of UK employees above, you know, work-life balance or physical health or anything like that. And that was the third year in a row that that had come out. And interestingly, retirement is now number two. So both the kind of top two worries are about do I have enough money now and in the future. Um, some of the other I think when we started to look at why are we so worried about money, a lot of it was around debt, so we have you know more than half of people saying that they've borrowed just to meet their basic needs, so those household bills, food transport to get to work we've got you know if you think about your employee base, half of those people in the last year have had to borrow just to you know get to work on time um and we, when you start looking at the amount of debt, it's about 7,500 pounds per person who has debt, so about 15,000 pounds per household. One in three had less than a 1,000 pounds saved. And that, again, ties back to your point around if you're missing a payroll cutoff, do people have that buffer to be able to manage for a few days? And our research would say that there's a big chunk of your employee base that would have no money or very little money set aside to make that work. Um, And then only a third of people are feeling like we're going to have a good lifestyle in retirement. So the long-term security, even if you feel like maybe you're managing day-to-day, it's that long-term security. And that was really interesting because we've now got auto-enrollment and we've got more people than ever contributing to pensions, but we've still got most of us feeling like we've got no idea what it's going to look like in retirement. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess all the sort of marketing around that
1: you know the sort of out there isn't isn't great anyway, you know when we think about how the pension and retirement sort of circumstances have changed over the years um you know for everybody sort of thing, I guess that has an impact mm. on concerns um too um so so what sort of things can we do as an employer because you know some of this stuff is it it, it will just always be an issue and and you can't um. We can't sort of resolve everybody's issues, I guess. And, and you know, you, I suppose you could argue, well, oh, let's just pay them more money. But it's not actually about <laughs> that. Sometimes people's management of the money. So even with more money, they just don't, still don't have money. And I guess some of it compounds as well. If you haven't got enough money to get to work and borrow it, then you've got to pay to have borrowed it, which means you have less money, you know, in the future. So a lot oh. of it is viral as well. So... What can we do as em- employers to help to improve financial wellbeing and and just sort of that that whole wellbeing piece for our employees?
0: Mm, I think I think it starts from just recognising that this is an issue that is affecting most of your people. So, um, sort of most employers now are saying they've got some kind of financial wellbeing strategy in place, whether that's just a pension or not. Um, but only you know half think that it's, they're doing as much as they should be. And there's also an interesting disconnect in terms of what employers uh, say is a leadership priority versus what's an HR priority. So more people think that senior leadership are focused on financial well-being versus HR, which is slightly concerning, considering it's usually HR who is implementing these kind of programs. So if you are looking at improving financial wellbeing. being it's not just about paying more. So our research also shows that just because you get paid more doesn't mean you're not worried about money. Um, so it's about understanding what your employees need, not just making those assumptions about it's people of a certain income or it's people of a certain age, and actually getting that kind of data around you know, who's worried about money, what are they worried about, what are the topics that they feel like they need more support with, and then maybe measuring success, so identifying you know, which areas is financial well-being or poor financial well-being perhaps holding your organization back. So is it that you're wanting to address absences? Is it that you're looking at turnover? And how is financial well-being perhaps driving into those things? And I think Senior leadership engagement is critical, so those companies that are doing the best at addressing this have someone at a senior level who are championing it who are sharing their personal story and talking about you know their situation where they perhaps didn't have money and we you know we have one company where a senior leader talks about leaving a domestic violent relationship and with only you know a few pounds in her pocket and the impact that having more financial support would have had in that situation. So I think when you start to have those emotional um, ties to something and starting to break down that taboo and that it's not just people in low responsibility roles, it is people across all levels of your business, all ages, all incomes, and then starting to build a plan that addresses some of those needs. So perhaps it's education, perhaps that's helping people feel more included in products. And measuring and adapting as you go along in terms of what's working and what's not. Yeah,
1: it's it's one of those topics that's that's really difficult to discuss as well, isn't it? A lot of people mm. won't think about their financial situation, and it's you know this when you're in I don't know if you just think about your group of friends, never mind your colleagues. There's not always. A sort of relationship where you do talk about your income and spend and debt and everything else it, mm. you know, unless I'm in a I different
0: think <laughs> I think I think you're tr- you spot on and I think there are levels of sharing right like you don't have to all sit down and talk about your salary but you could talk about you know how are you how do you manage your money or how do you pay your bills how have you set up your accounts mm. um, and those kind of conversations or even just you know, understanding how credit cards work and which interest rates are best or those kind of things. Have you found a better APR? So I think a lot of it is also that people just don't know what you don't know. And Mm -hmm. as a country, we don't like talking about it. So we just sit in, you know, our little bubble of what we think that we know. But if we could just get people to start breaking down that taboo and realizing you're not alone to be stressed about money, you're not alone to feel like, you know, you're not, where you should be for your life stage and that there are things you can do to address that.
1: Mm-hmm. There's a bit of a vicious circle as well, isn't it? That sometimes, I don't know, if you borrow money and then you have to obviously pay the interest on that and then you know that sort of gets a bit out of hand, then um, you can't pay the repayments and all that sort of stuff. And when and, mm. um, people don't ask for help, they can get, you know, not only are they worried, they can get into a much worse situation. And it sometimes feels like a sort of, um, you know, like there's only certain people who understand all of this stuff. <laughs> so yeah. I guess that's part of your role in organisations is to to make it accessible to everybody. So even if you're not the person who knew anything about finance ever, you've got this sort of route. So how does that get delivered within, I mean, you sort of touched about touched on it at the beginning, but how does that get, get delivered within organisations? So what, what sort of routes do people have mm. to find this?
0: So quite often we, so when we launch with a new company, we'll do kind of a communications campaign. So it might come out through emails direct to the employee if they've got work emails or it might be, you know, posters or flyers. It could be through manager briefing packs. So just whatever you would use to normally communicate a change or a, an update in your business, you can then use it to say, Hey, there's this, you know, there's this website, there's this app that you can go to to find information, to find support. And I think that's where having something external to say, we as a company endorse this, but it's not you having to open up directly to us directly to HR or manager. It is, yeah. you know, you can go online, you can be online and digital is, as anonymous as you want it to be. And that information doesn't get shared back to us about what you've been looking at or what you've been learning about. Yeah.
1: And so how how would you sort of recommend organizations who aren't doing anything about this at the moment start to think about doing that? And And how do they sort of sell it into their senior managers that it, you know it's something that's worth investing in
0: mm. so in our research and there's also other research that different people have done as well around what is the cost of financial well-being and that kind of gives you a baseline to say you know potentially we're losing x amount of days in absence or we're losing you know five percent productivity or whatever it is through to financial well-being and if you can quantify that for your business you start to say well For a business of a 1,000 people, there's a potentially a £450,000 cost to us doing nothing. And that starts to build the business case of, well, we should start to look at what we can do, what we should be implementing. And a lot of these kind of um, systems that are in place are of no cost to the employer. So it's just about the employer putting something in place, putting something on an intranet or sending communications out to say, here's where you need to go. Right. Yeah. And what about, you've
1: mentioned one of your sort of um, examples of a senior manager talking about, um, financial issues around, you know, an abusive relationship and so on. What other examples have you got of, uh, where, you know, you've, you've worked with organizations and had some, some real success around improving, uh, well, but financial wellbeing and, you know, connecting that to the employee engagement piece.
0: Mm, So I think, uh, We've got quite a few case studies and there's some videos on our YouTube channel. Uh, London City Airport is one where they have implemented um, Neighbour and also other elements of their financial well-being and they've seen a decrease in kind of the accident rate at the work, so more people focused, more people engaged at at the workforce. Um, Angling Water is another one where they have um, implemented A a holistic financial well-being strategy and they've particularly focused on kind of a multi-generational workforce and they both of those companies have won awards for their financial well-being strategy in terms of driving employee engagement so I think you can have measures like employee NPS and um, you know turnover and absences and all of those kinds of things and measure them and measure your financial well-being strategy against them yeah yeah
1: it's interesting. Just the first one you shared to say that they had an increase in, or oh, sorry, a decrease in accidents, wasn't it? So because mm. there was more. So
0: they, yeah. yeah. So they were um, obviously a lot of their teamwork and kind of operational roles. So safety is really critical for them. And they, if there is any kind of incident or near miss, they will, um, you know, do a, a review. And I think the reason that they started down the financial well-being path is because when they started doing these reviews and looking at kind of the underlying issues, a lot of it was stress about finances and people just not being able to focus properly.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really interesting. And, yeah, I, I suppose we started the the show saying, you know, this is a fairly new thing that's being discussed and, you know, it's not been such a popular topic as, you know physical well-being or mental well-being uh, sort of in the past but as you have just sort of highlighted there that actually if you think about the the fact that it is the top um stressor and that uh you know we we have been talking about stress in the workplace we've just n- not necessarily linked it to the financial mm. well you know, it's not surprising I think so. that...
0: it's about yeah it's about digging deeper and saying you know this mental that a lot of people are going through where is that coming from and mm-hmm. and our research shows that a lot of the time it's financial worries it's you know fear of not having enough today and tomorrow yeah 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 exactly we're just going into the last few
1: minutes of the show what what um, sort of final thoughts tips would you leave for employers listening about thinking about financial well-being for their employees
0: I think the main thing is to just uh Quite often, people come into this topic and have some assumptions or maybe some preconceptions around you know the type type of people that will be worried about their finances, potentially being younger, potentially being poor at incomes or certain industries, and feeling like well that doesn't apply to me and my company and I think because we don't talk about money because it's such a big taboo, you actually have no idea how many of your people might be feeling this way, and the research is that it's all incomes all ages all industries so I think just you know go into it with an open mindset and actually start to maybe dig a bit deeper into things like EAP data or into things like incident reports or employee NPS and actually start to understand what is it that your employees are needing in this space I think mm-hmm. the other I yeah potentially the other reason that we haven't talked about really is when we start to talk about financial wellbeing, being some employers worry that it will just mean that their employees want more money and that'll, you know, well, they'll just ask for more pay. And again, yeah. the data is that having more pay doesn't necessarily need lead to fewer worries. Um, and, and it's more around, you know, effective use of that pay than it is about just blanket giving everyone a pay rise. Cause I'm sure we can yeah. all think of people who've had that kind of, lifestyle inflation where as you get more money you just end up spending more and you're in the same net position yeah 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 well, it's a bit like I, I sort of worry about
1: social media on top of everything else that um you often see people i don't know buying a new car you know moving house or whatever and it gives people the impression that you know everyone else has got loads of money uh or more money than them and and i was you know when i talked to my friends about it, I always say, well, you know, they've all spent their money on holidays and cars and houses. They've probably got no money.
0: <laughs> yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. Or worse, they're in negative money because most people are in debt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 and There's, there's a, maybe, a great hmm. quote from um, Warren Buffett, the American investor who said, nobody knows who's swimming naked until the tide goes out. <laughs> so I think <laughs> definitely... <Yeah. laughs> Yeah, yeah. sometimes the really... case of keeping up with the Joneses on the credit cards
1: yeah absolutely and I guess that's a, a sort of probably a final tip when thinking about um you know in the employment situation don't look at it from your own perspective because your financial situation is different to everybody else's and so you have to as you say be really mm-hmm. open-minded because we're all looking through our own lens aren't we absolutely yeah yeah so, thank you, Rebecca. It's been really interesting talking to you today. Thanks for joining me. That's all right. Thanks for having me. And just to let you know, next week we've got Gaina Lewis with us, who's Head of Commercial Development at the Institute of Leadership and Management. And uh, Jo and I will be discussing, or I think it might even be me, um, their re- recently launched New Decade, New Direction Research. So, we'll catch you next week.
0: Engage for Success Radio raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work.